Back to throw. In trouble. He's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs. Gets away again. Goes to the 40. Gets away again. To the 35. Cuts back at the 30. To the 20. The 15. The 10. He dies. Touchdown 49ers. 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. I'm El Sacco. He's Zane Nakfi. For show in a couple weeks, we're coming off a bye. Zane, I hope we do better than the Niners did coming off their bye. This has to be the low point, right? Of I hope Kyle so. Shanahan's tenure here. This, this, so. is, this has to be. Like, I, I don't know how you let a team like the Colts, who are a middling team, a dome team, come in here and score 30 points in an absolute monsoon. Like, Al, for those of us in the Bay Area, like, we looked outside. And earlier that day, because it is the night game, you're watching it rain all day, right? And I went outside earlier in the day. I'm like, it's windy, it's rainy, it's kind of cold. I'm like, there's no way that these teams are scoring a ton of points today. There's no way. It's going to be like a 12-9 game, like a 15-10 game with like a safety or something like that, something weird like that. And you give up a 30-piece to the Indianapolis Colts, who were totally hapless, and in, in a must-win game. And I, I just can't fathom, like how they could let that happen. It was, you know, I thought it was as much of a must win game as you can have in week seven in October. Right. Just to me, I'm like, they, they have to come out. They have to play strong. They have to win this game. And the first drive, it looked like hell they came into play. You know, they, they went right down the field and scored. I thought defensively, they looked good in the beginning. It looked like Wentz was a little rattled at first, made a lot of shaky throws, some turnovers. And I, I'm like, all right, Maybe they're going to get a win here. Maybe they can beat Chicago, and then you know we'll take our chances with the Cardinals and the Rams. See what happens. But it just it, they fell into the same thing that we've seen over and over again this season, where the offense sputters, the defense with with the pass interference calls. I was there. I think it was ninety seven yards of pass interference calls. It's insane, Zane. It's insane. It almost looks like they were teaching their defensive backs. Like if you get beat, just tackle the guy. Or if you're not sure what to go, what to do, just tackle the guy. Like it was so bad. And they just fell into the same the same pattern. And look, we can knock Jimmy. We can knock whoever you want, the offensive line, the cornerbacks, whatever you want to knock. The bottom line is this, Saint. Something is wrong. Something is off. There's something not right, whether it's in the locker room, whether it's with the coaching staff, whatever it is, something is wrong. Now, I'm not going to say that, that, that I, I know. Obviously, I, I don't. I'm not in that locker room. But there seems to be a void of leadership. Just seems that way to me. There seems to be just, just, they're disenfranchised. They're disjointed. I, I, not, nothing is working right now. And that, to me, that starts at the top. So, some, some, something is wrong. Maybe it is the quarterback thing. Maybe what we've seen in this offseason, where they looked for a new QB, they were interested. We've talked about it a million times. They were interested in everyone under the sun in the offseason. They trade for Trey Lance. And then Kyle's out on the, on McVay's podcast talking about Matt Stafford. And, and there's all this drama in, in the training camp with the two quarterbacks. And then they love Jimmy and Jimmy's not playing well. And Trey gets in a little Maybe there's some fracture in there. I don't know. But something is wrong right now. And to me, the buck starts and stops with Kyle Shanahan. There's so much to unpack. There's so many things to think about. There's, you kind of named like a bunch of different factors, right? That we could point to as far as why is the team performing the way that it is. And it's very interesting to me that, like, I called, I called out Kyle Shanahan for the same exact stuff that he's doing now that everybody's calling him out for. I called him out for this two years ago, right? Like starting with that Seattle game in 2019 that they lost, that they at least should have got a tie out of, that he totally mismanaged at the end. Starting with that game, and people told me I was crazy. People like, Zane, you're crazy. You know what you're talking about. You're a total hack. Whatever, blah, 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 whatever, right? But at the end of the day, all that stuff is, is currently happening now. And this is who Kyle Shanahan is. Like, we have to understand that it's year five of Kyle Shanahan. And I'm not saying by any means that, that he should be fired right now. What I'm saying is that he needs to be better. And we have to understand that just like players have their limitations, I feel like Kyle has his limitations as well as a head coach. And we're starting to see some of those limitations now because it looks like he doesn't have any answers. And you can see it on his face. You can see it at the press conferences, the way he interacts, all this stuff. You can tell that Kyle Shanahan looks like a coach who is under duress for the, for the first time since he's been here. Because we knew 
when he first came here, the losses would pile up because of the, the mess that he inherited from Trent Balky and Chip Kelly era ending before he came here. So now you're in year five and you're expecting this was supposed to be the year, right? Like last mm-hmm. year was COVID and, and they had the whole thing with the fires at the beginning of the season and then they couldn't play in their stadium in Arizona and all this stuff. All that stuff happened. We gave him a free pass for that. I think rightfully so, because how do you coach through that, right? Like he, he did an admirable job last year. This was supposed to be the year. You had everybody healthy. You had everybody coming back. You added Trey Lance into the mix as an added sort of element for your offense. You had everything that you needed, essentially returning much of that 2019 sort of idea and in, in a lot of those guys that, that were there in 2019. And it was supposed to be a similar sort of year. And Al, they haven't looked right since that first half of Detroit. Like the first half of that Detroit game, they look fantastic. We're like, all right, cool. Like all systems go. They're going to be great this year. And then I don't know what it was. I don't know if a switch flipped or whatever it was. But ever since the second half of that game, they haven't looked right. And, and I don't know if it's not, I don't know if it's, they haven't looked right. I just think that this is who they are. And I think that this is who Kyle Shanahan is at this point. I think he's a very, very good offensive mind, but I'm starting to question his ability as a head coach. And I think it's fair because at this point you made questionable decisions with your personnel. You made questionable decisions with managing games. You made questionable decisions with your play calls. Like every part of your job, you have had some sort of uh, adversity that you're you're currently dealing with. You have some sort of things that are going wrong in every part of your job. So I think it's right to question him. Yeah, and I think, I guess where I am with this team and just with this franchise, Zane, it's always something. You know, you have that mm-hmm. person in your life who there's just, there's always drama with them. You know what I mean? Like there's just, you know, that person where there's always something going on. There's always something wrong. That's yeah. what I feel mm-hmm. like my fandom is with, with this team. You go back to really when the Yorks took over this franchise, it's always been something, whether it's rebuilding, whether it's taking Alex Smith instead of Aaron Rodgers, just it's something, the coaching changes, uh, hiring Mike Singletary before seeing what else was out there. Then you get Harbaugh and you're like, okay, everybody learned their lesson. This team is legitimately good for years, right? And then mm-hmm. that ends in just, I mean, it was cataclysmic. It, it, it didn't just end it. It was, it was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster in 2014. You thought you had a quarterback in Colin Kaepernick. That fell off a cliff. And then when Harbaugh leaves, you go. it was basically four coaches in four years. Then with Shanahan, other than 2019, right, which is the outlier, it's always been something. Well, they didn't have a good roster. He, he brought in Brian Hoyer as his quarterback. Are you going to win with Hoyer and Beathard as your quarterbacks? I mean, I mean, I mean, come on. 2018, Jimmy's hurt. All right, now excuses of injuries. 2019 was 2019. 2020, same thing. Injuries, but it's just, it's always something. Reuben Foster, well, he had off the field stuff. Solomon Thomas, well, maybe they played him in the wrong position. You're Joe Williams, you're Jarek McKinnons. It's just, it's always freaking something. Always. And at the point when it's always something, is it, isn't there more there? And people said for years with Kyle, and again, I'm not saying I don't want Kyle fired either. I would see Kyle, at least see Kyle learn from his mistakes and get out of it. He has the talent to do it, right? He's, mm-hmm. he, he, I think that he can do it. But everybody would always say like, oh, well, well you can't get a better coach than Kyle Shanahan, or, or he, he's a great offensive genius. There is a big, big freaking difference than, than being a good play caller and, and a good offensive coordinator and good scheming and being a good head coach. There is a giant difference. You got to deal with personality. You got to put good people around you. You're the CEO as a head coach, right? You're just not a freaking offensive coordinator. I'm so, Zane, I am so tired of hearing it. Oh, well, Kyle's a great play caller. Great. He's, he's, a, he's a head coach. He's not an offensive coordinator. He is a head coach. It is more than just mm-hmm. being a play caller. And you look at whether it's Twitter or people talking on ESPN, wherever the hell it is. Oh, he's a great play caller. He's a great offensive mind. He's a head coach. He's got more to do than just call the plays. And this team right now around him is spinning. It is falling apart. You have guys like Brandon Ayuk, who, I mean, I thought he was going to be a blue chip player, Zane. I thought he was one of the guys they were putting their offense around. He's got nine catches. Nine Mm -hmm. catches in six games. Dante Pettis has more catches than Brandon Ayuk right now. Are you kidding me? 
If we're saying Kyle Shanahan's a good head coach, he's 31 and 39. If you take out 2019, he is, let me do the math, he is 18 and 36. At some point, it's not the injuries. At some point, it's not all the other factors. At some point, it's not bad luck. At some point, it's not Jimmy Garoppolo. At some point, it's you. It's you. And I'm not saying he can't change. But he needs to change. And all the criticism he's getting, and he even said it himself, I deserve criticism. You're goddamn right you do, Kyle. You're goddamn right you do right now because this team is floundering. I didn't think they were Super Bowl team, but I thought they were a playoff team. In any decent team you've played, you have found a way to lose. They find ways to lose, Zane. That's the best way I can put it. Well, they were close. L, they just lost by three points. L, they should be, they should be four and two. They should be five and one. They're not. And they never are. They never are. There's always an excuse, and I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm sick of it. I mean, there's, there's no such thing as moral victories. This is year five of this regime, right? And look, I'm not. This isn't a knee jerk reaction because, again, Kyle said himself, he's like, I deserve the criticism. Like, I'm not doing a good enough job. And so a couple of things about that. The first thing is, we never hear Kyle take ownership for anything. Like, he actually took ownership for something for once that right. he said that I have to be better. And the second thing is, Al, let me ask you this question. Is there one thing or anything that Kyle does right now that another coach can't come in here and do? Like another, another like, you know, I'm not talking about Jim Tom Sula, another coach who's qualified to do the job. Is there anything that Kyle does right now at this moment that another qualified coach cannot do with this team? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So look what Zach Taylor's that's, doing that's, in Cincinnati right now. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like yep. there's just I feel like Zane, I feel like people talk themselves. And I probably did too. I'm, I'm not saying I, you know, I, I'm a, I didn't do any of this, but talk themselves into Kyle Shanahan being a great head coach before he did anything. And then the Super Bowl run, they're like, oh, see, and, and you know, I thought too, I, I, I thought the same thing, but that was a one-off year, man. Everything else, every other example has not been that way. Three and a half years other than that has not been that way. You know, one of the biggest issues that I see with Kyle Al and People will say, well, you don't know him. You're not in practice. You don't talk to him, whatever. But you can tell with his actions and the way that he treats his players is that Kyle is not, Kyle can be very hesitant to trust his players to work through stuff. Mm-hmm. And you've seen it with the quarterback position. You've seen it with Jimmy. Like immediately after 2017, Jimmy won those five games. Immediately, first game of 2018, he's in handcuffs, right? Staying in the pocket. I want you to stay there. They lost. Eventually, Jimmy gets hurt, comes back 2019. He has a handcuff still on him, and they never came off. Like, Jimmy never developed. And this isn't an excuse. This is, this is on Jimmy as well, right? Like, he's a limited quarterback, okay? He's, he's a limited quarterback. He's not a very good quarterback right now. But when it comes to it, if you look back to 2017, the, the, the film of those last five games of 2017, and you look the, at the film now, he's a completely different player. And my question to Kyle Shannon is that if you kept bringing him back, what did you do with him? Like, you, get, you brought him back for a reason, right? So to me, it's like Jimmy should have, he should not even have been on the roster this year. Like he should have been gone. Like the fact that he's still here, that's that in itself is, is something that Kyle Shannon should have rectified the offseason. But when you look at the way that he's treated that position and the, and the receiver position with Dante Pettis and Brandon Ayuk, the way that he treated Matt Breida when he was here, the way that he treated Akela Witherspoon when he was here, Kyle we'll called the doghouse, call it whatever you want. But Kyle, once you lose Kyle's trust, you're not going to gain it back. He's going to take the ball away from you. Like, I would love to have seen Al what Jimmy Garoppolo would have been able to do if Kyle just let him play and run around and make plays. Like, you know, the first drive of the game where it's just bootleg, bootleg left, bootleg right, bootleg. That's fantastic. Why didn't you do that all the time? He looked great. And then they come out. He played. He played really well. He was fantastic. He played really well. Yep. Yeah, and and in the second drive of the second half when they had that three play drive, it was like, why why didn't you do that the entire game? Why didn't you let him? you, You want him to play in this box in the pocket in this little small little area because your scheme says so. But like, why don't you let your players play? Like, why don't you, if your players are going through something, let them work through it. Like Brandon Ayuk, if you got the dropsies or if you're running poor routes or whatever you're doing, work, let him work through it. This is the guy that you traded two picks for last year. Your first round pick, he's supposed to be your star wide receiver, your number one wide receiver. Let him work through it. Don't just be like, oh, I'm just not going to, I'm going to uh, put you in a doghouse. You're not going to start, put Trent Sherfield ahead of you. By the way, where's Trent Sherfield now? He's not He's not doing anything. And you put Brandon Ayuk behind him in the, for valuable training camp reps. So my whole thing is that a, a really good head coach, Al, 
trust his players and they trust them to work through things and they trust them to be able to figure it out because these are grown ass men and professional athletes that can do, do things for themselves and figure out things for themselves. And Kyle doesn't do that. The, the, and that's, that's one of my biggest gripes with him is that you have to trust your players. If you look at how, I mean, the whole Brady thing messes everything up too, but like feel how Belichick trusted Brady or Arians trusted Brady or right. how Pete Carroll trusts Russell Wilson, right? Like you, you have to have that relationship with your players. And if you don't, your players aren't going to produce. They're just going to, they're just going to play tight all the time and they're not going to play free. Like, Oh, this, this team to me, like they just look tight all the time. They just look scared. They look scared to make mistakes. And that's the, the corners. They look scared to big, give up a big play. That's why they're grabbing everybody. So at the end of the day, like you have to be able to trust your guys. And one thing, one thing that I, I did uh, notice earlier, Al, and we talked about this a little bit offline, but um, I want to read the Kyle Posey uh, tweet to you um, and, and the quote from Jake Plummer. So Kyle Posey, uh, Twitter KP show, um, he, he had a, a post where he had a quote from Jake uh, Plummer talking about Mike Shanahan um, and their time together in Denver. So this is Jake Plummer talking here. He says, quote, I had a coach that regardless of how well I thought I was playing or how well the majority of fans across the country thought I was playing, it was never going to be good enough for him. And Plummer wasn't very, he wasn't very bitter in this. He was like more matter of fact. And Plummer continued on to say, and that gets kind of gets frustrating. It seemed like every game I could have completed these four more passes or these five more shots here, and it would have been perfect. And that just wasn't my personality. But Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, wanted perfection, and he wore a lot of us down there. And I think that Kyle is doing the exact same thing here in San Francisco. And he demanded that of, of his quarterbacks. He demands that of his receivers. He demands that of players. And if they're not perfect, then they're gone. And I, I really, like, if you're not winning, that wears out really, really fast. And that's kind of my concern right now. He, the team is playing rigid, and Kyle is kind of a rigid personality, right? And it mm-hmm. seems like it's kind of showing there. And just to me, and again, I don't, I don't I'm, I'm just, this is just outside looking in. Just everything that happened with the way, look, Jimmy was treated poorly this offseason. When you're out publicly flirting with other people, every, every action that they did showed they didn't want him around. And somehow he's still here. If you're an other player looking at that, aren't you kind of thinking to yourself, well, am I, ne- am I next? Right? Mm-hmm. They're doing that to him. And Jimmy's liked in the locker room. I know that for a fact. Right? He's, he's got support in there. You know, he, he did yeah. go to the Super Bowl with a lot of those guys. So they're seeing that with someone who they've gone to battle with. And it's kind of like, wait a minute. You're doing that to him? And I kept saying all offseason that this was going to be a circus and this was going to affect the team. And I got just destroyed for it people said nasty shit to me for it i don't think i was wrong i don't think i i I saw this coming months ago i mean how many times did you and i talk about it i saw this coming six weeks ago in week one i'm like zane they got problems people like oh they're two and oh al you're just being negative you're just trying to get clicks (laughs) which i don't don't need any clicks. i don't do clicks i don't know what that means but like I just look, I am not somebody like, despite what you think me and you, you know, this, you know me well, I'm not a hot take guy. I'm just honest. I just say what I think. So like, if I think they're shit and if I think it's a circus and if I think the 49ers have been a shit show for the last two decades, for the most part, that's just what I honestly think they just have been. It's always something drive me crazy. And did you hear the Joe Staley interview? What he said about Buckner? Uh, I heard part of it, but I would love for you to break it down. I'm going to play it. Yeah, I'm going to play it here in just a second. So let me preface it by saying when, when Buckner, when all this stuff happened with the trade and everything like that, I had thought to listen, he's a really good player. He's not worth Aaron Donald money. So if, when they traded him, I was like, I get it. I get it. You know, that's, he's got a lot of money and kind of see what you're saying. What I didn't know was that he, what Buckner said this past week is that he offered the Niners to meet in the middle to come down a little bit and they didn't offer anywhere close to, to I think the four years, 80 million or something like that, but not close. But I didn't know. And we as fans don't know this, what it's like in that locker room and who the core pieces are of that locker room. And it's not a coincidence that this team is kind of falling apart without the Joe Staley's without the Richard Sherman's without the divorce Buckner's. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what state I'm going to play what Staley said here because I didn't know this. And when I heard this, I was like, Oh, that changes the game for me a little bit. And let me play it and then I'll react to it. 
What do you remember about DeForest Buckner being traded? Yeah, back in March, um, I had made the decision, you know, with my family that I was going to retire and step away from the football field. And DeForest was one of the first players that I wanted to go talk to. I kind of wanted to say, you know, pass the torch a little bit. You know, this is going to be your team now. Because he's looked at and viewed on, this, on that team as being the culture setter, the leader for that squad. And he flipped it on me when I thought I was going into the conversation saying, hey, I'm going to be retiring, doing all this. And he flipped it on me and said, I'm not going to be here. I just found out recently that I'm being traded. It's going to be announced in the next couple of days. And I immediately went into shock, like player uh, reaction, like I was still going to be on the team and saying, are you kidding me? How are they going to get rid of him? It's because of what everybody said earlier, the leader, the leadership that he does every single day in the locker room, showing guys how it's done. He's a true pro. And I think that, that, that culture um, leadership that he brings is missed right now. Joe Staley who is an all-time 49er, he is, one of the huge leaders in the locker room, called DeForest Buckner the culture setter and the leader. I didn't know that. I knew he was good in the locker room. I knew he was a leader. I did not know that he was like the, the guy, right? The guy who can mm-hmm. please people. If that's the case, and you let that guy walk out the door, or you trade him, you are f***ing tone deaf. But you are... Tone deaf, tone yeah. deaf to what is going on in your organization. If that is the case, and look, I said two years ago, too, whenever they traded him, I get it. I was wrong. I didn't know that. I didn't know he meant that in the locker room. And if you're listening to the show right now and you're like, "Well, Al, you know they signed Ward and Armstead, and they'll be fine," they're not fine. What are they? Eight and fourteen since he left. And I know they had a bad record previous to 2019 too. But the point of it is, is that. Once, once they kept it, what they got it going in 2019, Buckner was a glue piece for that and a glue piece for, for, for this team. And they just let, they just got rid of that. Who did they think was going to step up in that void? Who was the lead? If you're, if you're dropping Staley in your cause he was retiring and you're dropping Buckner and Sherman ended up leaving. Who, who's, the, who did they think was gonna be the leader Zane? That's what I would like to hear someone, someone ask Shanahan or Lynch. You let your core glue pieces leave or or they left from circumstance in the locker room who did you have Mm -hmm. to replace them not on the field in the locker room and would i pay extra money for someone who's glue like that in the locker room i absolutely would i didn't know that i didn't know that until i heard it from staley so when i heard that i was just kind of like oh that is telling to me that that tells me that some of the people making the decisions are tone deaf to what's going on in the locker room it's very similar, Al. We've seen this so many times with this uh, ownership group and Parag and these guys. Like, and Parag is mostly in charge of the trades. We know that, but we've seen it so many times with them. They'll get rid of a leader. They'll get rid of locker room guys. They'll get rid of like you know they got rid of Frank Gore for for what for what reason? He didn't want to. He, he didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay. He was still productive. They got rid of guys that are really good team guys, and they've constantly done that throughout the regime because of because the the analytics tell them that oh. We can trade Buckner and get a first, and then Javon Kinlaw will give us the same or similar amount of production as Buckner did. But Kinlaw has bum knees. You didn't know that, like, yeah, right. Yeah, he drafted Kinlaw, and he had knee problems in college. Like, that's the other thing is that they they compound one mistake with more mistakes. And people will, our people will listen to this and be like, "Oh, you guys are being way too negative. You're just trying to because they suck. They're not any good right now. That's why we're being negative because they're not any. If they do something worth praising, we'll do that." But they're terrible right now. This is a carbon copy of all of those Singletary years, the Nolan years, the Tom Sula year, the Chip Kelly year, like where they win, where they win one or two games early, and then the rest of the season is a train wreck. This is what it's turning out to be. Hopefully, they can get Trey and he can kind of salvage this thing, and they can get some some sort of like progress out of the season with his development. But Al, like when you make moves like that, and you and you give away your foundational pieces like that, and I get like how the salary cap was a thing. The Cardinals didn't have any problems being superstars in their cap. The Rams don't have any problems fitting superstars right. under their cap. It doesn't matter to them. So what, you couldn't keep Buckner. You couldn't give Armstead less to give Buckner more. So you couldn't you couldn't restructure Jimmy's deal. Like I, I just don't understand. Like and on top of that, if you were so willing to move off of Jimmy that you flirted with Brady and then you flirted with every other quarterback, that contract being off the books is huge. Where you'd be able to do this stuff. Like why didn't you get out from underneath that Jimmy contract when you when you had a chance? Like they, they compound one mistake with, with more and they overcorrect. And the problem is, is that the spreadsheet Al probably told them that, okay, well, we can get, get rid of Buckner 
the will net a first. We'll get a mid first round pick. We can use that. There'll be a D lineman, some some D lineman there in the middle of the first round because they'll fall, mm-hmm. and we'll pick that D lineman. And instead of going what I thought before the draft, going CD Lamb and O lineman with those two picks, they went Javon Kinlaw, who's not playing at all, whose season may be over. As of the recording of the show, they're talking about maybe putting him on, uh, having a season-ending knee, knee procedure. And Brandon Ayuk, who's not getting the ball. It's like, they when, when, you, when you treat your leaders like that, all of the, the role-player guys, all the other guys, it sends a message to everybody else. And to me, it's the, the, just the bold-faced lying that they do. Like John Lynch coming out, scratching his ear and be like, oh, no, there's no crisis here. Like, you're lying. Like, everybody knows it. You had a chance to bring back Sherman, right? The off-field stuff, whatever, right? You, you needed leadership. You need, you need corners. You need healthy corners. That's a position you need. You had a chance to bring him back. You didn't because your, your opinion was, quote-unquote, we're good at corner. And then they bring in a washed-up Josh Norman and the walking penalty and ineffective Greg Kirkpatrick instead of bringing back Richard Sherman or, or having him sign before the season or whatever it may be. That's the problem is that when you have something in front of you, you have to be able to understand what's in front of you and be able to appreciate that. Like, Al, can you believe that DeForest Buckner never got a second contract from this team? That's unbelievable. That's insane. He, sorry, he got the option. So, I mean, I guess, I guess the option kind of counts as one, but a second long-term contract? I can't believe that. He, he was an all-pro defensive end, or sorry, defensive tackle that gives you pressure from the inside. You know how hard that is to replicate in the NFL, getting pressure from your D tackles? It's, it's incredibly hard. And they had that, and they let it go. And that's why this defense is suffering. It's not just because of the loss of Buckner. Obviously, Greenlaw being hurt and, and missing Sherman and everything like that. But when you have pressure, like in 2019, that D-line was the reason why they were dominant, right? That D-line right. controlled everything. You're not getting that this year because you're not getting pressure from the interior. Like Buckner and, and Armstead were killing teams from the interior. And, they, and there was not enough guys to allocate to everybody else. And that's why Bosa and Ford were able to eat. But this year, they're not getting that. They're not getting anything from the interior. So you can double, triple team Bosa. It's not a big deal because the guys in the interior aren't pass rushers. And that's the problem, Al, is that when they make these moves, they leave a void and they can't fill it. It's fine if you want to make that move and, and fill the void. But they, they fail initially at, the, at making the move. And they fail even worse at filling the void. And for the people who'd listened to what you just said and, and said, wait a minute, the D in the second half of 2019 was garbage. They were hurt. Yeah, and they were 5-3 and three in the second half of 2019. When, when the defensive line was healthy, they were 8-0, giving up 12 points mm-hmm. a game in 2019. And then, then they were banged up, and they went 5-3, and three, and they looked pretty regular. They're still a good team, but pretty regular. And then they were healthy, got in the playoffs, and they got well, It absolutely was that D-line. And you made another good point in there where you talked about the analytic, right? spreadsheet analytics don't count for don't account for the heartbeat right there's a heartbeat to the game heartbeat to any sport and it doesn't account for that and it didn't account for i guess what buckner brought to this locker room and that was just one of the 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 eye-opening things for me man and you know then this is going to go a couple of ways so you look at what they have going forward and i want to get to you some stuff about the receivers and i want to get some stuff about the corners but when you look at big picture for the season and the remaining schedule, right? They have the Bears coming up. The Bears are a shell of a team right now. I think I don't know if Mac's going to play. It looks it looked like they had other guys who may not play in the defense. Justin Fields is trying to figure it out. You know, the offense has scored ten offensive touchdowns this whole season for the Bears. The Bears are not a good football team. The Niners are probably going to win this week. If they don't, it's going to be, you know, I don't even want to imagine what it's going to be if they if they lose this game. But I think they're going to win this week. And do you know what? It doesn't matter at all. What matters is what they're going to do against the Cardinals and the Rams the next two weeks. So if they get to three and four, great. If they're three and six after the Cardinals and the Rams, the season's over. And it's, it's going to end up being a really bad season. And if we've seen one thing about, about, I guess, the York ownership, we know when things go bad, it gets dysfunctional, right? Call it what it is. I know everybody wanted to, to to erase what happened previously to 2017 when they made these hires and say, oh, oh, he learned his lesson. Just like when he hired Jim Harbaugh. Oh, they learned their lesson, right? Well, no, it was dysfunctional from 2014 to 2016. What I want to see is if this team is three and six and this fan base is rabid right now, okay? Rabid. Mm-hmm. It's not the podcaster's fault, okay, that it's rabid. People are pissed. 
people are pissed because this team's been garbage for the most of the last two decades, right? So yeah. I want to see if they're three and six and things aren't going well. We've already st- seen stuff start to come out in the press a little bit more than we have with this regime, right? With some of this Jimmy for the second round pick and the Lynch in the ear and the DeForest Buckner stuff and people saying things that you don't normally see. Are leaks going to start to happen again? Tim Kawakami tweeted something today that kind of got me thinking. He said, if there is a jet or anybody else leak, it'll be over for this regime. And York doesn't want this to be over yet. So I think things will remain relatively quiet for at least a little while, but monitor the pregame shows on Sunday. So look, people can have the red and gold glasses on and be like, oh, this is a great franchise or whatever. It will be dysfunction junction in a heartbeat if things continue to spiral out of control. The minute Jed, in his mind, is tired of Kyle, and maybe that never gets there. Maybe they turn this around. But the minute he is, it's going to start again. Mark my words. Guys, you can think I'm full of shit. You could say I'm just, mark my words. I think I've been pretty spot on the past year in terms of things, how things have progressed here. If things start to continue to spiral, you're going to start to see leaks. It's going to get even more dysfunctional. It is. And... I know we want Kyle to, you know, to develop Trey and everything else. If they're seven and ten this year, all the heat in the world is gonna be on Shanahan next year. He I thought he had to make the playoffs this year. I didn't think he was gonna get fired, but I thought he had to make the playoffs this year or two thousand twenty two was gonna be brutal. Mm-hmm. If he has another how, how can you have four out of five losing seasons and possibly four ten, he may lose ten games this year again. He might. If he has yeah, another one, four ten lost seasons in five years. That's atrocious. The 2022, man, the heat is going to be on. But guys, I'm telling you, just whatever. Talk to me in three months. If this spirals out of control, you're going to start to see some leaks. You're going to start to see some dysfunction. It's it's just the way it's been here, man. It's just the way it is. We'll see what happens. The, I guess, interesting and I guess so disheartening part of it is that Jed and Prague do what they do, right? We know what they do. They've done it to every single other regime before this. They've been largely hands-off of Kyle to, up to this point. But at some point, they're going to step in and they're going to try to control this thing. And when that happens, that's basically curtains for Kyle. Because that's when the dysfunction, I think, has already started. But that's when it really, really starts to hit the fan and becomes very apparent. And that's when things start to get ugly. Because look, Jed and Prague have sat on the sidelines for, for the the vast majority of this, right? Like you can talk about the roster moves that and the trades and things like that. But in terms of like the criticism and like being in the public eye, they've been very much out of the public eye. And I, and I credit them for that because they weren't like that with any of the other regimes. However, they, at the end of the day, the, the 49ers is their business too, right? And they have a business to run and winning helps that business. And they will step in and rectify something if it's wrong, because they've done that with everybody else, right or wrong. But that's the pattern that they've that they've shown. And they've yet to do that with Kyle. I mean, personally, I think that as an aside, I think personally, they, you know, Jed just gave Kyle the, the contract extension last year. He'd look like an idiot if he just fired him like this year, right? Like it's just right. You're not gonna right. do that. So I think Kyle has at least one more year with with Trey. And I think that he bought himself that year to develop Trey. But again, like uh, on another tangent, going off to the the topic that I talked about earlier with the trust, like he can't handcuff Trey the way he, the way that he handcuffed you. Like you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Trey's not going to develop. So a lot has to really happen, I think, for this regime to save itself. Because Al, think about it. And I'm, I'm not saying at all that I, that I think Kai Shanahan should be fired. I'm talking realistically here. What is it going to take for this regime to, shape it, to save itself? What is it going to take for this regime to save itself? A Super Bowl win, right? That's essentially what it is. Like winning seasons and playoffs and stuff like that, that's not going to save them. You've already been to a Super Bowl and you lost. So that the next logical step is like, all right, you have to go and win. And Al, does this look like a Super Bowl team to you? Like in the next like one or two years? Like they don't. No. So to me, they've got a, a gigantic uphill battle to be able to stick around. And when you have a young quarterback, I, th- number one, like the worst thing that you can do is have dysfunction around him. And the second thing, the second worst thing you can do is to change a regime when you have a young quarterback. Then he's learning a new playbook. Then you have a coach who doesn't know his strengths, who didn't draft him, who didn't develop him, who didn't do any of that, right? There's no ties to him. Much like when Cliff Kingsbury came in and and Josh Rosen was there. 
it's I'm afraid of a situation like that. I mean, at the end of the day, Kyler, they got Kyler Murray and it worked out for them, so maybe maybe I'm not as afraid. But again, I'm afraid of that happening and it not working. So again, like there's the whole Jed and Parag aspect of it that nobody really talks about that is yet to be a factor. But that is a factor when it comes down to it. And it, and if they Kyle keeps struggling, it will become a factor very quickly. Well, what did Jed say when they fired Harbaugh? He said, it's up to us to make sure we compete for and win Super Bowls. That's our only goal. We don't raise division championship banners. We don't raise NFC championship banners. We raise Super Bowl banners. And whenever we don't deliver that, I hope that you will hold me directly responsible and accountable for it. We look forward to getting this back on track. He said that in 2014. Dude, you haven't won a Super Bowl since 1994, right? Still waiting. <laughs> You're not Eddie D. This is not the Eddie D Niners. Yeah. Let's stop with that. Please. It's mm-hmm. utter bullshit. How about you get to the playoffs? Because yeah. you've only done it exactly. five times in the last two decades, right? How, how about we start yeah. with that? How about we start with, with actually having a little bit consistent winning, in, in, and then we can go mm-hmm. from there? Um, you, you know, I guess you listen to me. I guess you know I'm kind of bitter, right? with the way things have gone here. Mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, I, I grew up with, you know, Montana was a little kid, but with Montana and then to young and, and just the way the Niners were. And I was reading, um, but I, I read a book, I should say by Bob Glover. It was about, um, I think that's how you say his last name. I apologize, Bob, that's not how you say your last name, but it's about Walsh Parcells and Joe Gibbs. There was an mm-hmm. excerpt in it that I'll read a little bit from just, just what Eddie D did. And what he did here, I think was out of line. But it just shows you the accountability that there was at the time with the Niners. I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. So this is after a loss in 1988, okay? The owner's frustration boiled over after 24-23 loss to the Cardinals as the 49ers blew a 23 to nothing third quarter lead. And it was lost with three seconds left in regulation. DeBarlo stormed into the locker room and, deber- and berated the players. And he directed his ire at Walsh himself for the first, it was the first time DeBarlo had ever blasted Walsh in front of the team. Randy Cross said this was an absolute this was the absolute drag is the lowest point of the year. Eddie considered all of us employees, including Bill, and went above and beyond. It was t- wasn't too hard to figure out after being in that locker room that day that everybody's job was in harm was in harm's way. That that was the standard back then. Right. Mm-hmm. Bill freaking Walsh, who had two Super Bowls at that point. And again, I'm not saying any owner should go in and berate their coach in front of the team. I'm not saying that. But you just see what what it was. What, what they were held to at that time. Walsh went on to say in his book that he went on to say in his book that, um, so in terms of DeBardo, soon enough, if his team didn't win that year's Super Bowl, he was distraught and raged. Just getting to the playoffs each year wasn't sufficient. In fact, it drove him crazy. It was unacceptable to him. Just, just to make the playoffs, you know, that was the <laughs> Niners back then. Like just making the playoffs, yeah. the owner was enraged. And, and this mm-hmm. owner could say all the lip service they want to. This team doesn't even make the playoffs ever, yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. Four times in 18 years. And this is what they're going to make it this year, unless, you know, barring a huge comeback. So four times in 19 years. So that's me. Listen, am, if I've been negative, yup. Am I bitter? Yup. It, it's just, it's, it's been a lot, man. It, it's been a lot. And I think a lot of people are frustrated. And there's certain fans who are always going to be, you know, see the positive side of things. And, and that's fine. For me, and maybe it's the New York, New York and me, right? You know how we are with the Yankees and, and the Giants over here, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. what have you done for me lately? And maybe just because I got that East Coast vibe, that's the way that I am. But to me, this this team has been trashed for most of twenty years, and I'm I'm done with it. I'm tired of being like, oh, I think they're gonna be really good this year, and then they suck. And oh, let's make excuses. No, man, start winning consistently. I'm not saying you got to be the Patriots or the or the Niners of the '80s and '90s, but make the freaking playoffs three out of five years, right? I think most yeah. teams kind of do that. The Niners have four winning seasons. I think it's like the Jags, the Browns, and a couple other bad franchises, the Raiders, and one other franchise that have four or less. That's it. They're bottom of the barrel. Okay. I'm, I'm yeah. thrilled they made two Super Bowls. Great. They didn't win them. They have no championships. So they've been bottom of the barrel for the last 20 years in terms of winning seasons. It's them and like four other franchises. That are, so, so what do you want us to do? Like, I commented, I think it was Brian Peacock. Somebody was on him like, oh, you're so negative. What do people want us to say? What do you want to yeah. come on here? And, what, what, what do we say right now? Oh, we're going to be fine. You're probably not. They haven't been. It's not like it's mm-hmm. the Packers who make the playoffs every year and they're having a bad year. And you're like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's a year. Well, 
it's not like that. The Niners have trash almost every single year. So what 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 do people want us to say? I, I don't I don't understand it. I think so. Going back to that really really cool stuff, uh, the excerpts from the books, that eighty eight game against the Cardinals. So uh, if you watch America's game, like NFL films, they they actually highlight that game, right? Like they they talk about specifically that game because the Niners, uh, like he, Bill Walsh, uh, in his interview for that that documentary docu series, said that he's like this is the best that we've ever looked. Like I thought that that first half was perfect, and I thought it was the best that we ever looked. And they end up giving up the, the game-winning touchdown notes with no time left on basically like a prayer from Neil Omax to, I think, Randall Hill or some other Cardinals uh, wide receiver. But early on in that game, uh, on a kick return, uh, the special teams guys ran into Bill Walsh, and he broke, I think, three ribs, two or three ribs. And he was standing on the sideline. Nobody knew, and he had trouble getting on the plane. So knowing that, and then now knowing what you told me, the NED just like, pour into him this guy's got broken ribs right he can't breathe right. he's like and, and NED comes down he's like i don't give a crap if you have broken ribs broken leg it doesn't matter to me torn to them it's just like another level of commitment that you don't you don't see because now it's about it's so much about tv tv revenue and money and you get rewarded for being bad because you still get tv contracts so i think that because of that owners see that and there's no incentive to really win right because you'll still get that money really it's just that the embarrassment that you have when you're when your fans don't like you but i you know again like i'm 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 with you i don't like being mediocre i don't like seeing a team be mediocre i don't like them losing it's embarrassing it's it's not fun to watch like al you know i got a young kid at home a young daughter at home i got my family here you have two kids like dude we're not like and and for so many other people like they get out of work or they're watching it during work it's 3 hours of their weekend that they're giving up for this team Right. And yeah, we're willingly doing it, but it's like, dude, we've been doing this for so long. And when's the payoff going to be? Right. But I think that's just fandom, right? Like you don't do it for the, you do it for those small moments that you get those payoffs. But like the Niners, especially, it just seems that they're so egregious with all of their faults. Like it's like very obvious that they're making mistakes mm-hmm. and they still make them. Right. And again, over and over like, again. <laughs> you get to over and over again, like, like the coaching hires. And then when they do hire somebody, like when Kyle was hired, I was like, this is the right hire. I was really behind that. I was like, this is the right guy. He's going to be awesome. And you and I were both like, we were both like, okay, this is going to be a really good hire. He's going to be really good here. And, you know, 2019 really kind of gave us a taste of that. We're like, all right, this is what he can be. But the problem is, is that every single time this regime, both the ownership and this coaching and GM regime have had a chance to get somebody who's a difference maker before Trey Lance, right? Trey Lance is the, was, was kind of maybe the X factor here. He could, he could break that streak. But every single time they've had a chance to upgrade this team. Specifically, obviously, at the quarterback position, they haven't done it. You, you passed on Mahomes and Watson in the year one when you had Brian Hoyer as your quarterback. And people say, oh, well, you don't know what Mahomes and Watson. You had Brian Hoyer. Like, that was your plan going forward? Like, you were going to you were gonna wait at the to, for the thought of Kirk Cousins maybe becoming a free agent. Like, what if Kirk Cousins got franchised? What if some other team swooped in through a stupid deal at him that he accepted? Like, there's no guarantee that Kirk Cousins will sign for your team. Like, he's a free agent. Every team can offer him. So you passed on on not one but two possible generational talents for the thought of Kirk Cousins. So you did that, and then on top of that, after the the Super Bowl loss, you had a chance to get out from Jimmy and try to get the the greatest quarterback of all time in Tom Brady, and you didn't do it there, like time and time again. And then you look back to obviously you mentioned it at the beginning of the show, like trying to draft Aaron Rodgers. Every single time they have had a chance to make a franchise altering move. Under the Yorks, they have failed. Some of those are the Yorks' fault. Some of the some of that goes to the coaching that the Yorks have hired. But every single time, they have failed, and that is the difference between the DeBarlo regime and this York regime. Is that the DeBarlos wanted to win at all costs, so they made those moves. This regime, they they will pass on it because the team was given to them. They did not earn it. Eddie B bought this team. These guys were given this team, and there's a difference because when you're given something, you don't appreciate it in the same way. Yeah, and you know you you don't have your Carmen policies anymore, right? You know guys like that around. Yeah, man, it's 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 just really been frustrating, and, and we've talked a lot about the quarterbacks, but yeah, at the end of the day, this this regime hasn't found their quarterback yet. Five years, you know, and that's mm-hmm. that that may may end up being the nail in the coffin. We'll see. So I did want to talk a little bit about just in terms of what we see with the offense. The target share to me has been crazy. So. Debo's got 63 targets. Kittle's got 28. Obviously, he's been hurt. 
And then after that, you have Sanu has 17. Ayuk and Juszczyk have 16. Hasty has 12, and, and Sherfield has 10. So they're not spreading the ball around. They're not getting people involved. And in this Ayuk thing, you know, whether you want to blame him for not running his routes well, whether you want to blame Kyle for not getting involved, whoever's fault it is. The bottom line is they traded up for this receiver, and it's not working, right? Another mm-hmm. receiver that isn't working, Dante Pettis. Yeah, Trent Taylor was a higher round pick, but Jalen Hurd's been, or, I'm sorry, a, a later round pick. Jalen Hurd's been hurt. But other than Debo, hasn't worked out. And Ayuk, again, you know, going into this season, everybody thought he was going to have a huge breakout year. And it's been, whoever's fault it is that it doesn't matter. The bottom line is, is this has been a gigantic disappointment. Zane, listen to this. If you look at the first round wide receivers in 2020, okay, Henry Ruggs had 26 catches, 452 yards, and two touchdowns in his first season. This year so far, he's got 24 catches, 469 yards, and two touchdowns. He's improving. Jerry du- Judy was 52, 856, and three in year one. Now, he only played one game this year. He's coming back this, this week. But he was six for 72 when he got hurt. He's having a big game. C.D. Lamb was 74, 935, and five in 2020. He's got 33 catches, 497 yards, and four touchdowns. Improving, right? Getting better. Putting up numbers. Jalen Rieger, who might, we'll see with him. We don't know yet. 31 catches, 396 yards, and a touchdown in year one. He's got he's 19, 165, and two this year. Still not great, but it still might be an improvement from last year. Justin Jefferson's a stud, 88, 1407 in year one. This season, he's 41 catches, 542 yards, and three touchdowns. So again, he looks like he's still a stud, right? Still doing well. Mm-hmm. Brandon Ayuk, the other receiver taken in the first year, first round that season. 60 catches, 748 yards, five touchdowns in year one. Looks great, right? Year two, nine catches, 96 yards, and one touchdown. See the discrepancy from the other five guys I just I just named? Jerry Judy, Judy did that in like three quarters or whenever he got hurt in week one. And this is what I yeah. was doing. And, it, and again, something that frustrates me is people will say like, oh, well, Debo Samuel broke out this year. Okay, great. You can't get I, I the ball at all? It's not like you're scoring yeah. 45 points a game and Debo's got 63 targets and nobody else has, has any. They're not scoring at all. They're not even getting first downs for long stretches. They're going mm-hmm. three out for long stretches. And you mean to tell me you can only get one person involved? I, I, I don't understand it. So again, whoever's fault it is, and we've seen a lot of, you know, if you're watching the All-22 or whatever, we've seen a lot of plays where receivers are running open. So you want to blame Jimmy? Great. Whatever. Again, the bottom line is, if it is Jimmy's fault, why do you keep playing him? Right? Exactly. You yep. can't get these. How, how do you not get these guys the ball? Whether it's Ayuk, whether it's Sanu. I saw a number of plays this past week. Sanu was sitting there wide open. There was a mm-hmm. second down, I think it was after the turnover, where Jimmy was rolling right. Sanu and Debo wide open. Sanu would have had a touchdown. Debo would have had a first down. He just didn't throw the ball. He just didn't throw it, and he threw it into the ground. There's a play where if he steps up, it was when Dwelly had the holding call. If Garoppolo steps up, Ayuka's wide open. So, uh, again, I'm not going to sit here and say it's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. The bottom line is these people are not getting the ball. And Brandon Ayuk yeah. has declined beyond decline. That's unacceptable. This wasn't a fourth or fifth round pick that you, that, oh God, I didn't, we didn't see that in year one and he regressed in year two. This was a guy you traded up for in, in, in the first round, a receiver, be one of your core pieces. He has nine catches in six games. Nine? Is mm-hmm. that even possible? How is it even possible? And you're scoring less than 20 points a game. You scored over 21 points twice this season. Are yeah. you Are you kidding? It's just again another thing that just makes you absolutely want to tear your hair out. Well, I mean, you don't you don't have hair, so I think you've you've right. torn it out because right. too many years of losing, gone. right? That's that's what happened, right? That is true. Gone. <laughs> too many years of it's gone. But the IU thing is so fascinating to me because it's like, well, I mean, I think that part of that is on Jimmy. Obviously, it's, it's on the quarterback because he isn't for whatever reason he, he may he may not tr- he may not trust him. But the other thing is that. People will say, oh, well, he's getting the snap count and the snap. But the thing is that the snap count doesn't matter if you're just running clear out routes all day. That's all he's doing. He's clearing out the middle for Debo. Like those, those in cuts that Debo has, like those 20 yard in cuts that he has, all Ayuk is doing is he's taking a corner and a safety deep with them so, to clear that route out for Debo. Like that isn't, that's not like a, like, that's not like an actual meaningful snap to me. That you're just a decoy on that play. Like I want to see plays where Ayuk is the focal point, not just like, oh, you're read number four out of four in this play. No, like you are the first read. You're the first guy that I'm going to look to and the ball is going to go to you. Now, look, I, I think that again, it was bad luck with, with that 
holding call on Dwelly and, and that ball being tipped. And yeah, Jimmy should absolutely have stepped up and that's a layup touchdown. And I did get open. But the thing is, is that there's one play. Like we consistently see Ayuk being overlooked. He's not involved in the game plan. Like you see these like token, like, oh, let me give a reverse to Ayuk or let me throw him like a screen pass. So these token, like easy, like, okay, dude, like I know you're trying to get, you're, you're making a concerted effort, effort to get him involved. Like this isn't organic. Like forces to Ayuk sort of plays. It has to be organic. It has to be within the flow of the game. And Kyle talked about like, he's not, he hasn't been able to get in the flow of play calling. But I mean, like, dude, like you were running the ball beautifully on the first drive. And you were running it fine. Like Elijah Mitchell, who's, who's I think been a fantastic find, by the way. Elijah Mitchell was running really, really well. And on the second drive, you throw it three times. Why? You're running it well. So I think that all of that stuff, it takes your playmakers out of rhythm as well, too. Like when they don't have any flow, when they're not seeing the ball for multiple quarters, like the way he fielded that punt, Al, he's playing tight. He's afraid to make a mistake. Like you can see it. You can see what the way that he plays. He he treated it like a high school kid. It literally looked like a high school play. When Brandon Ayuk muffed that punt, which I which thankfully was not a, a safety. He didn't ever have control of it. So it was it was a touchback and correct call. But these guys are scared. They're scared to make mistakes. And I think that's a big part of it too. So it's not just Kyle, it's not just Jimmy, it's a combination of both. And you mentioned Mitchell, one thing I wanted to say. <laughs> when you when you talk about again being a head coach and the decisions you make, right? And in this case it's personnel decisions. So Kyle has proven year in and year out that his system can get late round running backs or undrafted free agents. They come in and they do really well, right? Rita, Mitchell, Jeff Wilson, Mostert. You don't really need to spend capital on running back. Despite that, they've spent a lot of capital on running backs, right? (laughs) They traded up for Joe Williams, didn't work out. They gave a big contract to Jarek McKinnon, didn't work out. They gave a so I made a big contract to Devin, Devin, Kevin Coleman. Kind of, I guess, sort of worked out for a year. They traded up yeah. for Trey Sermon. I Kind of, right? Maybe. Um, they traded up for Trey Sermon. He's not playing right now. So again, yeah. why, did, that's four, why do you keep doing it if every year those guys don't work out but the guys that you got off the street or late did? Like, like mm-hmm. how, how, how does that work? So um, that was one of the things that I don't know, in terms of the decisions I want to say too. One of the last things I want to hit on Zane was just the cornerback situation and <laughs> um with these pass interference penalties. I saw today that uh, they're working on jump balls in practice to try to help reduce PI penalties. Uh Josh Norman and Drake Kirkpatrick are doing that in their thirties. That's awesome. That's that's good to do that <laughs> yeah. those guys in their thirties. Um after ten years in the league. What what kind of drives me crazy about that is look, if Ambry Thomas isn't ready, great, don't play him, I guess. Um but Lenore looked pretty damn good when he was in. He made some mistakes, but he looked pretty mm-hmm. good. What sense does it make when you're two and four to take a couple guys off the street in Norman and Kirkpatrick and not even dress Lenore? Mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't understand it. Why not give him some snaps? Why not get him in there? Why not see what he can do? And the defense hasn't, again, that the defense is getting shredded for 45 points. I'm not saying that. But it's been pretty ugly at times with the corners and the pass interference and things like that. Why not just get Lenore out there, see what he can do? Josh Mormon's probably not on your team next year. Patrick isn't no. on your team next year. Lenore could be a player for the next three or four years. And Shanahan said something about not getting the rookies in yet. I forgot what he said. Something about wasn't time to get him in, or, or you just don't get him in to get him in for experience type thing. He played well. I thought he played well enough. It's not like you're putting in a guy who hasn't shown anything. I thought he played well. So I don't understand yeah. why why they would have him in there. He would do okay, and then they would just pull the rug out from under anything like that. I, I don't understand that. I'll tell you why, Al, because they're feeling pressure to win, right? Again, the thing that you mentioned earlier on, like four, potentially 10 lost seasons in five years is a huge black eye on a coaching record. And they know that the heat is going to be on the measure. And, and to be able to kind of like, hold off the dogs a little bit. They need to be able to win games and he's going to try to put the people out there. They're going to help them do that. It's not about development. And I think that the, the sad thing, Al, is honestly, if they just packed it in for this year, it's like, all right, this year is just about Trey's development and the development of the rookies that we have so we can get out from some of those contracts that we have, like the Jimmy contract and some of the secondary guys that, that are on one to two year deals. I would be totally fine with that. Like, all right, cool. Like, it's not a big deal. We're punting on this year. Yeah, it's annoying that like, you know, they may lose a little bit, but like at the end of the day, it serves a larger purpose. But they're neither here nor there. Like they're not starting any rookies in terms of like the guys that need to take over in the future. They're not 
getting enough from their bets. And right now you're in, you're in this kind of purgatory where it's, you're not really like, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know whether you're building for the future or if you're waiting for this year. And I think that the cornerback position is a, a really good illustration of that. Because as you said, Lenore was doing pretty well. I mean, I feel like he was doing just as well as Josh Norman and Kirkpatrick were doing. But inexplicably, I mean, maybe they wanted more out of that, out of that position. Maybe they wanted more guys. But Al, I just feel like, again, I don't, I don't feel like this group, specifically the corner group, but I feel like the entire team, but I don't feel like the corner group is playing uh, with any sort of peace of mind. I feel like they're pressing. I feel like they're tense. I feel like they play scared at times. And it shows. How many times did Carson Wentz throw the ball to them and then they didn't catch it? Like, just throwing it right to them. Mm. The only guys that can catch on the defense are linebackers. That's it. Like Greenlaw and Al Shayer had the only interceptions. By the way, that was that should have been an interception. I don't know why that was a fumble that they that they did, that they gave to uh, Al Shayer, but they're the only guys that can catch. So, I think that like when it comes to when it comes to this particular group, why not throw John Miller out there? Why not throw Ambry Thomas out there a little bit and have a little bit of trial by fire? Like the there's nothing that says that you can't do these things. And I feel like good coaches and good regimes find creative solutions to be able to win games. And this is their time. I'm not saying they won't be able to find it. I'm not saying this is not a good regime, but I'm, what I am saying is that this is their litmus test out. This is their, their own trial by fire as, as a staff because they have to get creative. There's no trade that you can make or nobody coming off IR or no addition to the team that will make enough of a difference to turn this entire thing around. Even Trey, even a Trey plays well. So to me, like, I think that when, when we look at what they're going to do next, it has to be something that's internal. It has to be something that's creative. It has to be something that is going to make enough of an impact to make up for all the things that are causing them to lose. And I'm not sure if that thing is on the team right now. All right, Zane, before we take it out of here, we'll do some predictions. Um, I kind of already said mine, but what do you think is going to happen this week? Oh, they have to win. And the other thing I'm going to say is that though, I, I think they'll win. Also, ironically, Jimmy's first start was against the Bears uh, in Chicago, in his hometown. And it could possibly be his last start for the 49ers in Chicago, in his hometown, hopefully again, in a win against the Bears. So I'm going to say that they're going to win. Um, Justin Fields right now still going through it, still learning, finding his way. Um, so I think that the Niners should be able to win this game. Um, and I think that Nagy's out. He's got COVID, right? So I think he's not even coaching uh, until yeah. like later on the week. Yeah, I, th- I think it'll be, you know, maybe like a 24 to 13 type thing, 27 to 13. I, I can't see the Bears scoring much. Again, they've only mm-hmm. had 10 offensive touchdowns this season. I-, I think the Niners defensive line will play well in this game. And I think the Niners will win, and I think it'll be three and four. But again, I don't think it's going to mean very much until we see what happens in the weeks come after that. So yep. if they're four and five after they get done with the Bears, Rams, and, and Cardinals, all right, maybe you could say, well, maybe they could maybe make a run to nine and eight, ten wins. Maybe, maybe could push playoffs. But if they're three and six, it's over. It's over. Yeah, and and that's really, really yeah. disappointing. So we'll see. I think to me, again, I said before, let's see where they are after the bye. Now I'm seeing, let's see what happens up and through week 10. I think it'll be, um, this is it. This is the season. We'll know in the next three weeks if there's anything left to root for or if we're playing for next year. So, But I do think they win this week. and. We'll see what happens from there. Hopefully, it'll at least be a fun game to watch. Um, be on Halloween, I hope so. so hope everybody, you know, whatever you do on Halloween, I'm gonna drink a shit ton of pumpkin beers on Halloween. Um, <laughs> do you ever go. drink any pumpkin beer? I don't know. If you, I don't, you're not a big drinker, but like, I love the craft beer, and like, I know pumpkin beer is like, yeah, a lot of people aren't really into it. I love it. I love it on Halloween. Um, that's what I do, man. I'm all about it. So it's it's gonna be fun. Basic season. Al, you're gonna be basic on Halloween. <laughs> Basic, basic the pumpkin basic beers, season. yeah, basic, yeah. I mean, anything, yeah. anything pumpkin is basic, right? That's that's what people say, right? So you, I like it. I'm all about it. I'll t- I'll mix in some Oktoberfest too. It's it's going to be a day. A lot of football. We got a couple parties to go to. Yeah. It's going to be a fun day. So, um, and it maybe be a fun day. Game, maybe I'm going to need a drink. So <laughs> we'll we'll see yeah. how it goes. No, I mean, I think they'll win. People people think we're too negative, but honestly, number one, I don't care. Like I'm going to like you and I will will tell how it is, and when they do okay. something that's worth praising, we'll do that. And when they're negative, when they're losing, we'll, we'll end up crashing them because they suck. Right. But we're going to keep it a hundred. That's what we do. That's what we've always done. And that's not going to change. Yep. And look, we've been positive. One thing there's things to be positive about. We've been positive when there have been things to be positive about right now. I'm just fed up. 
fed up. Yeah. So I don't know. It just is what it is. I think a lot of people are. And if you know you don't like it tough, I, I don't know what to tell you. Yep. That sounds like a good st- place to stop right there. Yeah. Bam. All right. Hit, hit him with the, like, the mic drop. Enough. If you don't like it tough. <laughs> That's it. Done. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. For Zane, this is Al. 